What we have to do is listen to symptoms. People will tell you what they think is wrong. Directors do this with stories. Tech people do it, whatever. It's just tell me the symptoms. And it's like a lot of these already have the answer to, and the 20% I have the knowledge to learn. To the Render Bar Podcast. My name is Steve Jacks. I'm a visual effects editor working in Hollywood, and joining me through the virtual computer box are my two amazing co-hosts, Richard Sanchez and Erica Robbins. Hi. Hello. Hi. Today is a special day. You want to know why? Why? Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. <laughs> We've got our very first guest on the pod. That's right. This guest has worked as an assistant editor and visual effects editor and recently made the jump to picture editor. He's worked on shows for Disney+, Plus, Sci-Fi, and Peacock, as well as with the legendary Spike Lee on numerous Spike Lee joints, including Black Klansman and The Five Bloods. He's had a unique stint shooting EPKs for films as well. You'll see his work as a picture editor on the second season of Dr. Death, streaming on Peacock on December 21st. I've known him for years. We've worked together, together twice, and he's got a mustache that rivals any you've seen before. Please welcome to the show, David Carlos Valdez. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Welcome. How's it going? It's good. Um, yeah, living in the strike, which is its own version of the world, which is uh, yeah. it's kind of nice, very boring. Yeah. <laughs> you put both of them together. How long have you uh, been struggling through the strike? You know, yeah. I, I worked until... Um, Really, like I, I did some sound mixes in July, but really till maybe the second week of June. Uh, and then I, I traveled. I figured with our, I'd hit like a three and a half years stretch of no break. So now I, so now I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break. I went to Japan. Uh, now though, I'm like, oh, maybe I should stretch my money a little more, but whatever. <laughs> hey, you gotta, you gotta uh, take advantage of the time you have, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. In post, particularly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the was Doctor Death the last thing you worked on before the strike? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, I was on that from on the second season. I was on from I left. I was on uh, Mandalorian, and then in December I uh, started work, and we we wrapped in early June. Though I think we went over by a little. We went over a little bit by about six weeks, which was great uh, yeah. because of money. Yeah. Great, great. So Dave, uh, you know, we're so glad to have you on the show. Uh, like I said, I've known you for a few years now. We've worked on a, we worked together on Happy. We worked together on The Mandalorian uh, and Book of Boba Fett. So I know you, you know, Erica and Richard through that Mandalorian universe. Um, and remind me, did Erica, you, did you and Dave work together on one of the Mandos? No, I, I met him on season three. You met him on season three, yeah. So, yeah. and know Rich and I worked on Ahsoka, and but through all the universe, I can't. It's sometimes hard to keep track who worked with who because the universe because is just multiple. Yeah, we were on multiple. Even I had to think if I worked with Richard just because I I I know Richard and because we were in the same. Uh, we were going over tech things and workflows and stuff together. So Facebook yeah. circles, yeah. exactly. But it, but it is cool how you sort of interconnected those teams through working on those those Lucasfilm projects. Because sometimes, uh, even in big studios, people have this impression that you know everyone is crossing you know crossing elbows with each other. And sometimes it's really compartmentalized, and you're like, "Oh, you were there? I had no idea." And right. that, that, yeah. even even in the virtual space, yeah. the way you've kind of connected your teams as you sort of overlapped has been a really a really good way of introducing people and just allowing teams to share our techniques, our discoveries. You know, a lot of this happened just because of a uh, pandemic, you know, where we were all working remotely 
and we weren't going in the office every day to have that everyday coffee talk, you know, a uh, cooler talk. So when it became that we have been away from each other for so long, we just started to do these little meetups. And then it became somebody left this show and then went to another show, but they're still part of the group. So we just, hey, come on over out for the, to the beer garden. We'll hang out. And now it's become like, I don't know, 30, 40 people that we have an invite going with all, all of yeah, post-production. I didn't meet any of those people in real life until I was already off. And then, uh, yeah, I, what well, we meet up every couple of months. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave, let's go back a little bit. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about your background in film and how you got started into post-production? Uh, I guess it's a long, it's a little meandering, I think for a lot of people, you know, it's sort of like you go through this road forever and you have a goal, but it, it, when you finally get there, you're like, Oh wait, I finally am here. But, uh, I went to, I was just a high school kid making movies, want to be a director. Um, went to like a year film school program, which kind of like around, uh, 99, I went to one year film program in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of floated around for a while. Uh, and you tech, tech was way hard to get your hands on the like cameras and stuff. But then I decided I wanted to go to USC cause that was where people go to direct. So uh, I went to community college, got into USC finally. Um, that was great in terms of, I was in the critical studies program. So um, a lot of learning about f- film on the very fundamental levels, not a lot of production. Um, but while I was in school, I started supporting myself. I started learning doing short films. I, I started learning Final Cut Pro. I don't remember what number, but um, I started learning how to edit when no one knew how to edit. And I was able to use that to start landing side jobs to make money. Uh, so I didn't actually realize I was learning. I didn't realize that was going to be my meal ticket as time went by. Um, years pass, I directed my own movie, uh, a low budget horror movie called Clown Camp Massacre. Um, and I have to cut that myself uh, over a two year period. And that is actually really where I learned that narrative edit, like that kind of forced me. It was very slow, but that was what taught me how to do that. Um, and then I met this guy, Ryan Denmark and Ryan, Ryan's from Albuquerque and he was this editor. He was a success story from Albuquerque where I'm from that he had done this film festival, had met Spike Lee's editor and Spike Lee's editor just took him back basically with him to New York. And, uh, Ryan would come back to Albuquerque and cut, uh, this, this summer film festival because he was just kind of giving back on some level. So I, I wanted to meet Ryan and I, even though I was editing these things, I was like, Hey Ryan, I'll, I'll be your assistant. Um, just, I just want to learn how to do this. And, uh, so Ryan started showing me actual, how a narrative workflow goes, but, and he wanted to get me hired by Spike Lee, but that was like when the industry was, this would have been like, Oh, eight. And there was just not work. And I could not, I could not get, there were no second positions. It was first or nothing. Right. And he was the first. So he, that didn't work out. But Ryan told me, edit on as many things as you can. So you just learn a lot and then and just just be ready. Um, so in like 2012, I started working as an editor in a, in entertainment news. Uh, there's a place at Reels Channel. So it's like Entertainment Tonight, basically. Very hard deadlines, uh, but it's entertainment news. And they eventually transferred me out to L.A., and I was basically, I was shoot, I was a predator I was shooting and editing my own stuff. And I was in LA for a couple of years and the, that kind of money started falling lower and lower. And next thing I knew I was editing, I was better than I was ever 
I, than I was, and I was editing YouTube videos suddenly because the market kept dropping and dropping and people don't want to pay because they can get cheaper. Um, and I almost dropped out of editing. And then in 2015, my buddy Ryan calls me and he's like, I got bumped to editor. You have to move to New York if you want my job, but you can be a first, even though I never had any scripted experience in anything major. And next thing I know, I was uh, Spike Lee's first assistant uh, editor. And then I was often, I, I basically worked for Spike for five years, but it, in between I would, there'd be a lull and I would go work in TV with Ryan. And that's how I meet Steve through uh, the sh show Happy. And then that team, eventually I get, after a long time, the Happy crew became the Dr. Death crew. And on season one, they bumped me to additional editor. And I worked with Ryan again, who was kind of the, Ryan was doing all eight episodes, but I was cutting scenes. And then when season two came along, I, I went to Mandalorian then between that and Boba Fett, got my VFX credits. And then I came, uh, and then finally, when they bumped, one of the show, one of the assistant producers became the showrunner, and she took me with her as an editor onto Dr. Death season two. And that's where we're at. And there you have it. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, it. man. Yeah. It's that easy. Everyone listening, it's just that easy, right? <laughs> I mean, it, uh, took, it took like seven things. minutes I, to get that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, and I, I feel there was a thing too, I felt older than some people, not older than everybody, but when I, you know, I came in as an assistant, I was 35. Um, and a lot of people break before that, but I had been on so many indies and so many things that like, even when I got into the edit chair, finally, um, I, I just blew everyone's minds. Cause like I'd been editing all this stuff myself, but on top of it, my technical skills were so advanced that like, I, um, I never had to think technically about the creative. You know how it's just like when you draw, you don't even think when you write, you don't think like a kid is what letter goes after what letter it's invisible to you. And that's how editing has been. I'm glad you mentioned, though, that that, you know, you didn't have to think about the technical with the creative, because I yeah. do I do find oftentimes technical gets swept under the rug in favor of creative and not to say that creative is the heart of the craft, but technology and technique, I mean, the technical drives that creativity. And because you could just fly, you knew what was the newest features, what you could do, yeah. what was feasible versus infeasible, what was expensive versus yeah. Uh, yeah. reasonable. And what's possible. Um, like, I don't think people know how you can push things. Um, and uh, I just learned, I've been, I have time right now. So I've been studying uh, audio program. Um, audio, I, I bought the Isotope uh, suite. And I just this I just saw the other day the AI can split a song into stems like a, a mixed song, and I just I sat there and that was like fire discovering fire because what I can do temping is now incredible, but no editor's gonna know that you know I'm like a I do know some insane technical editors but they're at the top of the industry because of that. You know this is something we actually did speak upon in one of our episodes about AI which were programs, software that does isolate your, isolate songs, uh, like oh, you're yeah. saying. And what we were talking about was how, how much assistant editors and editors can use that in their back pocket as tools rather than being afraid of their taking jobs away. How do you feel about that? Like with the, with, okay. with what you're doing? Um, I love, like for someone like me, I, I love pushing it so far. Like, so every little thing you can give me, I will figure, I'll play with it like a toy for a long time. I think, I know all of us are, are, I think every VFX editor I ever met is a nerd in the 
best. Like we will sit there and we will play in the actual fun. Cause you know, it, it is, I got obsessed with macros. I still am like, because once I learned it, it was a toy and you just, you sat at the computer and you, you couldn't get enough. I don't, in editorial, um, there are people like that. I would say, especially the way the, the industry shifted over the last like six or seven years when streaming exploded, you lost a lot of technical people. So I think that skill is amazing it is, as it is. There's just not nearly as many people who can do it. It just expands what you can do incredibly. What I love about it is not everyone can do it. So it really becomes, uh, it, it's an advantage. Um, yeah, and it's just like I can do things I couldn't do. I've been thinking about the stems, and I would love to take a song we all, everyone knows and then pull out the vocal in a way that hasn't probably been done in forever. And people are just going to stop, and they're like, I know this song. How the hell did that happen? And that's, you know, it's people talk about AI as making things efficient, and it's like, well, if you make it too efficient, it's going to be dull. The idea is like just collecting time you don't usually have and now making something with that time. And just don't let your producers know what you can do. <laughs> right? <laughs> they will. They that will is the key. That. Having that stuff in your back pocket, ready to use when you need it to, yeah. you know, execute what you need. Um, you know, it's interesting that you had a lot of experience. It sounds like you've been cutting for a long time, whether it's on big projects small, or small projects. It sounds like that's been your your drive. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to be, once I decided I wasn't going to make it as a director... Um, just you, you, as much as it just is such, I don't, such a crazy road. And how do you collect a check as a director at so many times? Um, and then I learned, I had built the skill and I, I'm not innately technical. Um, but when I want to do something, I get obsessive and technical just seems this thing that grows out of it. And I, so I'm extremely technical, but it's not natural to me. It's just my curiosity pushes me until I know things. And then now I know everything, but it, it still always feels like I'm a creative who just somehow some has been given a rope thing, but I'll go down that. So yeah, I wanted like, so edit, it became editing once I kind of rolled off a of directing and it's, it's the storytelling. Uh, it's the um, something, it's just that part of your, I like that it's instinctive that like I get, um, I just get in this part of my brain and it's like painting and, and story. I, I do love, it's all the things I just love. And as I get further into it, I'm like, it's the suckers who have to produce it. It's sort of like, you make it, you get the money, you go through, you stand in cold all night, you you get stressed, I'll sit here and then I'll flex. And um, I remember I was really scared the first time a director sat with me. Uh, Cause I was, I, I got um, imposter syndrome. I was really scared they were gonna point and be like, fake um yep. and i sat with i remember we was sitting with the director who saw my first cut and loved it and i was cutting with her at one point and she's a very smart woman um and as i was cutting she's like hold on you're going too fast and um because she was she, and she was happy but she just couldn't track what i was doing because i was just um and then i realized as smart as this director was my life had been dedicated to editing from all these shorts I did, my features I've done, um, all these this lifetime. And I realized, holy shit, I'm really good at this. And it wasn't because I thought I was going to get imposter syndrome pick, uh, pointing at me. Instead, I realized I had to slow down because I was moving too fast. So, 
it's that's that's a heartening feeling too. Uh, I've I know I've felt that personally, and I meet a lot of people who often feel like I'm not ready to take on this job because I just don't I don't know what I don't know. And the idea yeah. that at your level, I mean, that imposter syndrome is very real, but very normal. And in knowing that, it can become if if you know to expect it. I, I like to call it the curse of integrity. Like you <laughs> doubt yourself because you care so much about what you're trying to do. And you yeah. want to represent yourself well. You want to represent your team well. And there's this yeah. set, like you have acknowledged the responsibility that is placed upon you and you're taking that responsibility very seriously. And that can be a difficult thing is, okay, yeah. that's that's a lot. I The only time I'm very, it's interesting now running my own edit room because I've taken pieces from every edit room I've been in before. It's just sort of like, oh, I'm in charge of this now and I'm going to shape everything I like or not like. Um, and I, I'm, I have a very calm demeanor most of the time. I mean, I'm never yelling, but I, that works. I get snippy, but what drives me, what, what gets, gets me upset is like when people don't put things on a pedestal, like I've always put the job in a pedestal. I put the edit, I put the editor, I put the editor in a pedestal because they are holding, they're holding the fire of, the baton how many people are when production's going it's hundreds of people in pre-production and suddenly i have the baton if no if someone's not taking that seriously it's infuriating it's not just me and three people it is 200 people and how many you know it's sort of so when anyone's not done that it's it's crazy because you know our jobs are you know we, we represent things and that's it there's a reason we it takes 15, 20 years to be here. It's so much, um, it's, it's just so much, um, knowledge. You have to have just knowledge down and you have to, you have to understand it and you have, you have to take on all the stress. So if anyone does not love film that much, if anyone can think for a second, it's not that important. It, it just, it's, they're a different human being than I am. And I think most of my friends are like that. And, you know, you, you also your your mention of that you don't feel technical, but but that you'd sit with it and figure it out. It's funny, too, because that's such a real concept that so many people oftentimes feel that I'm not technical, as if technical okay. is a state of being, like you have it or yeah. you don't. And I think you've broken it down in, in a good way, too. Like, there's a sense of like, I mean, yeah, I'm not technical by nature. I don't just sit down and understand something automatically. But if you have the tenacity to sit there and go, I'm going to figure this out. And and, and I mean, you know, as well as I do, because we're both similar tech heads uh, in that figuring something out comes with a lot of frustration and a lot of not figuring it out first, but yeah. but the, the the dopamine rush that comes with you know accomplishing that, and you go, I can do this. I, I, you you feel like you feel like Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway when he says, <laughs> "I have made fire." Yeah. Well, I think honestly, I like pulling something off, but the knowledge is the knowledge is not as the missing, right? The knowledge is being lost and having to find out everything around it. Um, that's where you map the knowledge and then you get where you want and you try to go back and you kind of kind of have an idea where it's at again, but you're still sort of flopping, but you're learning the board. <laughs> and then and then one day, you know where it is and suddenly something comes in and you're like, oh, I saw that while I was walking here or there. And that's um, the light just comes on. Um but yeah, the problem with me, I just can't read instructions. I just, my brain does not, that's where I'm like, I'm not technical and I don't pick things up fast. I, I'm, I have to, 
I have to be given a goal I want to do. And then I'll learn everything to reach the goal. But like, thank God for YouTube, because I can look at at least start yeah. looking at something and then and then go because YouTube's always great for surface level stuff. Uh, but when you become an expert at anything, it's you're already you walked off it. So you're like, I know this already, Skip. Yeah. You know, well, they never go yeah. super, super depth. Yeah. I, I know what you mean, Dave. I feel the same way with my my skills in FileMaker, for instance. A, you, a lot yeah. of it is I need to execute this task, and that's what I'm trying to learn for that one yeah. thing. So it's difficult to because I'm I'm not as technical in, in like learning spreadsheets uh, as yeah. much. So in my head, it's not like I want to learn how FileMaker works in total. Yeah. It's more I want to learn to get to the goal that I have, uh, just to get yeah. to the next task. Yeah, you um, just but you just did a very messy, a very awful thing for me. You just put a, a little birdie in my ear. It was like maybe I should learn FileMaker before I, uh, <laughs> I go. I'm it's like, like I got, oh, yeah, I it's like, do I have the time? <laughs> but no, I mean that's also a big part of it, Dave. Is that what you're doing yeah. is you're respecting the craft, you're respecting the show yeah. that you're on, you're respecting all the people who put work into the show, to then walk in the room with having learned programs and putting time into, uh, in, you know, learning and informing yourself and educating yourself on things that can help your skills uh, move forward to do the best you can yep. in your piece of it, you know, in your yeah, piece yeah. of that puzzle. I think film people take, they're both important and we take ourselves too seriously because obviously at the end of the day we're making a movie i i met someone who is in charge of like international affairs in uh southeast asia for the justice department when she was talking about things i was like uh, you know you, you start to kind of get a context like but while we're in the bubble there's a lot of money yeah. burning here and a lot of people's dreams and a lot of you know whatever um so yes i take it i kind of think of us like medical personnel i mean how deep do you need to know things how long does that take how long do you have to look no one knows what we know for what we do what we have to do is listen to symptoms you do, people will tell you what they think is wrong directors do those stories tech people do whatever it's just tell me the symptoms and it's like i will a lot of these already have the answer to and the 20 percent, i have the knowledge to learn um, and it's, so, uh, you know, that's, that's an important thing, what you're saying about going into the room. I it's going to medical, medical school to, you know, we learned stuff in film school, but the real learning is sitting, um, <laughs> trying to solve, uh, an export problem for two hours or, you know, so why is the database not populating correctly? <laughs> and, and you, you, you know, you touched on something too. I love how you worded your, your, um, uh means to learn things you, it, your macros started as a toy and now they've become a major part of the way you work and i think that's also it's it's a, it's a great way of introducing new workflow ideas because i think there is a sense that when you're in the weeds you don't really want to introduce something new something that's untested yeah. because that could royally mess things up but there is yeah. something there's something freeing about the time you have in between projects where you go this will be fun yeah. and 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 then when the when the pressure's off oh yeah. this is great this is pretty cool and and then you go, oh my gosh, the time I can save with this now. Let's yeah. let's really move this into the workflow. Mm -hmm. Well, when a, when a macro works, it's like a major shot of dopamine. Um, and I started I started getting obsessed with them on uh, Boba Fett because um, I was able to break. I learned a wise thing: never, especially with important workflows, never go 
too many steps and always ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen with this? And if it's bad, don't touch it, right? Um, what I did something the other day with macros and I can't even remember what it was, uh, but I was programming something. Like I have all my security cameras set up and whatever. I hit a thing, all my security cameras open up on my computer and I'm like, good, I tap it again and they all go away. And it's sort of like, what good programming, what macros and what uh, FileMaker and stuff are, is you're just programming, a, you know, computers are programmed for everybody. And now you're com you're making your own computer, which is, which is exactly tailored to you or your workflow. And that's, I mean, it's exciting, right? And then, yeah, it's sort of like, I, I think I've lived in two worlds and that's been really fun. The tech, like a real... I, in fact, when I'm editing, I had to, I, when I first started, I had trouble keeping up with my dailies and I didn't know why. I just thought, I mean, a, a little bit of his learning, you have to learn, you learn techniques to make your days. And once you do, you're like, oh, that makes sense. But the problem I was running into for the first two weeks, I, I had to go meet, um, I have this friend, Joey Lou, who jumped to editor at the same time as I did. And I asked him, how are you making it through these things? And Joey was like, first thing, first thing I did is I stopped being an AE because your temptation, you're, you're better probably than most AEs you're going to get. And you're, and you're kind of wanting to, it's an easy fruit and you want to show what you're good at. And, and it's, it's easy to grab it as your blankie. Uh, I was like, oh wait, hold on. I'll sh let me show you and hop in here. And you just burn 20 minutes right there and you burn another food. So suddenly you're losing two hours of your day because you, you just, you, you need to set that aside. And that's kind of hard too. When you're when you're in the crunch, you got to be like, okay, I know all this stuff, great, but I can't do it. I'm I, I'm not. I got to walk away. I, I'm I'm now this person. And I have to accept accept. I have to acknowledge that's my role. Does it ever feel like oh, doing that assistant work is satisfying, and that's why you yeah. want to do it and get it done? Yeah, I, like I, I cut it short during. Uh, I've I I've been cutting shorts on the side. Just you know, I like cutting. And, but on shorts, I don't have any help. <laughs> I, I actually, I make sure I do. I'm like, you don't need to give me an AE at the top, but as soon as I do a turnover, never talk to me again. Cause I'm not, cause in indie world, everything gets messy. I'm like, I'm not going to try to figure out your turnover to some person who doesn't know workflow. Um, yeah. but I do, part of it is I enjoy it. I, I, and I, this, on these other ones where I'm AEing, I started making tailored macros and I, I, you know, that's my joy. I was like, oh, I've just changed my workflow forever. Um, and the thing, the thing with editing and workflows, I think because I'm from a creative background that learned technical, I can, I don't depend on a workflow that's given to me. I need to understand that workflow and I can start to see shortcuts that didn't exist or weird. You know, you're like, oh, what if we tried this? And you realize any workflow was just people problem solving, getting some, um, it's a main path. And if you're yeah. smart enough, you can go off the path and you can find your own little path that could be faster. You just have to understand your danger or inefficiency. But sometimes you walk somewhere, it's the wrong direction. You're like, okay, I get it. You, I get why it's like this or that. You know, that's, uh, that's all really, really great stuff. It's like, uh, learning how to pivot, you know, and figures out the, you know, being flexible and learning how to change your, ad adapt your workflow to whatever's needed for the show. Not so much saying this is how I do it. Uh, and this yeah. is the only way.
Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard Richard say it for dozens of times uh, about like going into other workflows and not saying no to workflow. You know, I mean, that's the, you can't be rigid at all. Um, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's frustrating when you know it's not efficient, but you just kind of roll with it. You know, um, you listen to podcasts if you're, if you're going too crazy, but um, there, there is a, it's just being open. I, I find that in the edit chair, um, whenever someone tells me, to do something, I'm like, I know that's not going to work. It rushes through my head. I'm like, well, this is someone wanted something that maybe I don't like, but it's like, it's my job to audition it. And I would say 80% of the time I know, and I'm right. But that 20% of the time, it's like, I get excited because I didn't understand something and it worked. And now I'm like, okay, what worked about that? And it's sort of, and same thing with workflow. It's sort of like, why is that faster? It is faster. That's fun. You know, that's, and a lot of, I think a lot of every job is framing things correctly, realizing don't forget how cool our jobs are, uh, how lucky our jobs are as well. And because uh, it's, I mean, we work too many, we work enough hours to forget that. But um, that is true. You know, I, I'm interested in something, Dave, how we, when, I knew you as an assistant editor on Happy when I was doing VFX editing. And then when I brought you on to Boba Fett, I know you were very interested in understand as an assistant editor, learning, wanting to learn the visual effects workflow and learn those skills. So having done that on Boba Fett and Mandalorian, how how much have you gained from that experience and how much have you implemented that in your in cutting or as an editor? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, um, no, that's a good question. Um, the reason I wanted really uh, to take, I mean, having having Mandalorian and Boba Fett was so good for your resume that no matter, I could have done whatever and that looks great on your resume. Um, I'm, my, I worked under the editor who cut Roma and is this guy, Adam Goff, very, very good editor. Uh, and when he, Quaron wanted to hire him, but they were in between projects and and Corona was doing something and he told Adam be a visual get a visual effects editor job between this because when he was going to run things by the studio having a visual effects editor credit was going to be major because the studios would trust him as an editor to understand a visual work workflow so that made me know um if I had an opportunity to go be a vi visual effects editor so when I got the chance on Mando and and Bob Fett that was as good as that credit could be, right? Um, so going through it, um, you do understand a lot of things. And I had the reason you could hire me because I was unofficially doing that under Spike Lee for a long time. Um, a lot of times AEs are AEs are kind of forced by cheaper productions to learn those skills. And I and I I could do visual effects myself, but still, it was like learning a massive amount of uh, visual effects and and learn. Learn a lot of skills and kind of look at the scale on the, at the biggest levels. But as an editor, um, it was interesting. I got to watch the the editors cut these. I remember watching. Um, uh, I think one of the editors came on and had never done that kind of thing. And she's like, "What do I edit? I don't know what to edit. This is all." And she just kind of had to edit the uh, previses. And it's like, I didn't, you know, I'm, I was nice watching someone else have to figure that out and never have to ask, what am I cutting when I go into this thing? But um, weirdly, um, I learned to cut 
Well, every time you edit or on the other side, you're you're looking at how someone builds things. Um, but I learned I learned exactly how long cuts can shortcuts can be. I because you know act and I learned how to cut action. I actually learned how short something can be in your brain registers it. Because uh, what we you know we were always looking at like the I like I what is I want to say I feel like seven frames is the shortest cut you can register by itself. And that's like a blip or maybe it's like nine, but you can have like maybe a five and a, th- a five and a three or maybe a five and a seven to if you cut, they look the same. If the cuts look very similar, it looks actually like a camera movement because it goes so fast, but they have to be very similar cuts. So I learned that looking at so many action scenes uh, going through all the the editor's cuts and when I when I I was cutting a surgery scene in Doctor Death, and I'm like, oh no, I could make that look pretty. I could make that look, give it more energy. We don't have particularly great coverage there, but I'm going to cut this shot. I, I have these two things matching. No one's reading what I'm doing. Like that kind of cuts so fast. Um, and I, that was something I I directly took from looking at timelines with action. And as I said, with action, you start to kind of understand how action goes together when you're cutting visual effects. Because you, all you're doing is looking at one visual effects sequence after another visual effects sequence. And I mean, a lot of the rules of regular editing are in the, in action. I mean, act, what editing is just an, editing is the storytelling of editing is really having an audience know where they're at. So, you know, ideally the story elements are playing out, but you have to orient people. You have to drive their eye and then you have to drive them through the emotions and then hope the, I mean, the information should be there. Sometimes it's not, and you have to create it. But ideally, the information's there. That's why you're driving over here. But it's an editor has, the key thing is you have to keep orienting people, reorienting people. But then you got to make, what's the scene about why this is an action scene? It's supposed to be exciting. That's an emotion. Scenes have to be cut fast because that's the emotion and the intent of the scene. But you got to make sure they understand where they're at. And we would do the scene after scene after scene. And you're learning the rules of how do I orient in action because action's so much quicker and we want to get to something, but we need to get here. And it's it's rhythmic. So it's like, bam, 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 stop. Let's have a breath. But can we get something out of that? Can we do two things with our breath? Can we not only, all right, that's over here, that's over here, but, you know, be over here that has a little bit. You're giving information, but maybe you're also getting a little bit of emotion, but you're understanding and you're saving that for later because you know that's going to be something you want to use later. So, yeah, visual. So it, it's it reinforces certain things. And then as an editor, I sit in a room and, and I, I mean, I can just talk about like I, I know what is I'm, I know what the problems are when people talk about it. And I can speak with the vendor and they can't bullshit me. Um, right. You know, that's the th- I think power is just there because they're, they're saying blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why is that an issue? Why, this, why, why haven't this, this been turned around? We requested it. Like I was in a meeting and they had, everyone was liking a thing, uh, this, this monitor. I'm like, guys, look at the, there's so much spill. They, they didn't rotoscope that they used, uh, they used some sort of key, which is fine, but they didn't clean up their work and it's dance. The sides are dancing and no one was looking for that. So it's like, you have the eye, you have the understanding and you, you kind of have the, you know the dynamics of a, a VFX workflow and where people where people try to cut where people try to cheat. <laughs> Definitely. 
you yeah. have a an eye for visual effects now in your cutting style, not even mm -hmm. just as you're cutting, but when it comes to knowing what should be a VFX shot or not, if the VFX team is yeah. missing it or if no one else catches had, it um, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, I, uh, Dylan, what's Dylan's last name? Dylan. Uh, uh, first name. It's, I, so I, I've worked with editors who so insist a certain shot is, is done a certain way um, in the visual effect and that, and the, and they just turn the screws on the departments. Dylan was great. Cause if Dylan would look at it and just ask first, is there another cut in here that is comparable that will save us a visual effect or, you know, make everyone's workflow easy. And if there was the answer was like, well, let's put that shot in there. And I know so many editors who are rigid and it's like, none of these shots are, if, if the shots important and sometimes you, all hell has to happen because the shot's important and you're like, we have to fix that. It's just, it's too important. But if shot's not important, mm -hmm. just switch it. It's not, you know, this is, a, uh, this is gospel. Yeah, and Dylan, Dylan Fershen was uh, one of our editors on the Mandalorian for, for, for our listeners out there. And he, uh, and he was huge in teaching me. Um, you, you can get that work done and be cool about it. Cause I, I've been in too many edit rooms where people just stomp. And there's no reason to stomp, you know, it's just like, I think so that's true. just old thinking. That's, that's forwarded trauma. I don't know when that started, but people just pass it <laughs> on to the next edit room and the next edit that room. That is true. That is true. <laughs> you know, and speaking of that, uh, you've worked with Spike Lee for a long time on a lot of his yeah. projects. So how, you know, working with a director like that comes with this challenges. So what's, what's like one thing you've taken away from all of the, those experiences? Spike, uh, working for Spike could be traumatic. It was traumatic because I came in as a first, you know, and there was, I never should have come in as first, but that's just what the industry was, right? And Spike could smell, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And Spike is, does not, does not put up a stupid at all. Um, and it was, it was terrifying. And, you know, I, I got reamed because I didn't know what I was doing a lot. And he, he, he has just like expectations. Um, I survived. Spike saw I was a worker. And Spike saw I was actually, I was taking it so seriously every time he told me something that about the six month point, I didn't think I'd be brought back for the next project. And I had a turning point with Spike where Spike suddenly was like, Spike actually decided he really liked me in like a course of a day um, because he realized he broke me. And then he realized I was ready. It was the Marine thing, right? I just, either you die or you don't. But once you get broken, you can be trained to be a a fighting machine and spike loved that but i learned i, I learned a billion things while working for spike and i, I learned personalities I, I know how to read people i i you know i'm still a little those kind of editing rooms are much more volatile so you learn you just you learn to never be behind on things always know just think of what the next chess move is um and kind of just kind of you don't have to have it solved but you have to know that it can happen and with spike because Spike, Spike just, Spike wants to know you know what's going on. And I learned with Spike, if there was a problem happening, I can see a problem. Never, never let the problem happen and tell Spike what the issue was. He'll get mad at you. Tell Spike if something happens immediately, you can say, you can tell him or come up to him and know there's a problem and let Spike know and give him an option if that's a problem or not. But don't present it after it. Cause he, it's, I almost compared it to football. You need, if you are a corner, you can't ever let the receiver get behind you because a touchdown is going to be thrown to them. 
So you, even if you give up yards, just keep them in front of you. Right. And that's like with problems with spike, I just had to keep the problem. I can never let the problems go over me. Um, and just everything, uh, I, the scale of things, um, I was in spike had me sit with him three hours during every day. Cause he would sit with the editor and spike trusted me. And he also liked that. I, he wanted me to know everything. Cause I had to then take that to the assistants. And if he wanted anything, I was right there and I can do it. So, you know, I, I sat next to spike Lee for three hours a day during production, um, during it post, which I mean, talk about learning, uh, editorial, but yeah, so I, I really learned a very elite editing room. Um, and how then, and, and expectations and then, you know, visual effects came in. I was always, they always turned to me cause no one actually, we had a visual, we would get vendors with spike and spike had no visual. He spike could be, he's just from a different generation. So I had to sit there and not let anything fly that shouldn't, I had to be, I had to just take the reins and say, this is good work or not good work. And spike was like, all right, dude. Yeah, I mean, he was just like, he'd listen cause he didn't know any. Yeah, I mean, he just trusted I knew and, and we moved on. That's taking initiative. That's having to step up. That's having to keep up. That's having to think ahead. Uh, and, 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 move, that, and never say yeah. no. Yeah. You know, if, if you're in a post room and you might be in a weird one, someone might get fired. Um, you may get pulled in. I know people who complain about that. Like they're they're mad they're having to do two jobs. It's like you're lucky. You know, you're, you're getting, it might stretch you, but you're, you're, you're getting yeah. a chance to grow and getting experience. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think those are all opportunities. So having uh, recently cut Dr. Death season yeah. two, and you were doing some cutting on se- season one as an additional. Yeah. As an additional. So it was interesting. Yeah. I, I got to learn the drama, but I didn't learn the politics. I didn't learn. I didn't sit with the director. It's interesting. Know, a second half to that, I had to learn. So speaking of that, how what surprised you the most becoming an editor on Doctor Death? Like not becoming an editor. What surprised yeah. you the most after having been sitting in that chair? Sure. Um. I. You know. I mean, <laughs> this is the funniest thing. Um. I. I suddenly learned that editors are respected. I, I, I realized I had been in so many editorial rooms and I had to say things four times for people to kind of grunt, grudgingly give that to me because it was always like an issue because that's what AEs do. They're kind of like putting out fires. But you, and if you have a creative idea, even if they say pitch in, you, they might listen to you. Suddenly, everyone listened to me and I was confused for a minute because I would say something and people would be okay or like suddenly... You know, just people who you used to have to deal and ask for four times, they get on it, right? Um, so it, that was very disorienting. Um, I told you the speed, like putting the, the speed of being in an editorial room took a minute to adjust to. You know, it was the early phase. I'm trying to think. I felt like I knew a lot of things. It was just sitting there for the first time doing it. And like my showrunner got notes from the network. A lot of it was like how things run and you don't understand. So my, my showrunner got notes from the network and she, she was busy. She was showrunning eight episodes and I read them and I'm like, okay. So I, I had learned, I'd seen other editors. So I went and tried everything in the notes so I could audition those for her. And she had just been busy in like two days had passed. And she got back to me. She's like, I'm sorry. Uh, let's sit in the room and I'll tell you which notes I want to do. And I sat there and I'm like, I did all of them. And she looked and I wasn't supposed to do, I was supposed to wait for her 
And she's like, okay, yes, yeah, show me what you did, which I had, I didn't need to do those. And then I auditioned those for her and she accepted stuff she said no to because I had sat there and did it in a way that was acceptable. I believe we had less notes on that episode because I actually did some of their notes, even though I didn't agree with them. I chewed the food in my head and I reprocessed it in a way I thought was okay. Um, and that was something I learned on indies because people wouldn't do things correctly. And you're like, how do I make this idea work? Yeah. And you just sit there and you kind of think it out and you, that's what editing is. You're taking things that aren't real and making something. And usually there's a plan and sometimes there's not. Unfortunately, fortunately, your best work usually comes out of the disaster, but you grind your brain to get there. It is the, it's satisfying after, but it just drains you because you're, you're beating your head against something. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's schedules. Um, it, it's dealing with an assistant uh, and kind of giving and, and dealing with someone kind of like trying to feed them while doing your job, making your job easier and not feeling bad about telling someone to do things. Cause that's kind of, hard because in, in a way you've always supported people and now you're being supported entirely like you are someone they are for you it's not like a PA who's helping everyone they're there for you and you're like okay I want this to be rewarding for them I need stuff um and also you know part of his job I was work from home part of his job was talk to me for 45 minutes because I was lonely <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, part yeah, of this learning how to be how to be a boss, how to be a leader uh, in your yeah. cutting room, you know. Yeah, and and it, you want to be the buddy, but then at a certain point, you can't. At certain times, you can't be the buddy, and sometimes you got to, and sometimes you have to put your foot down. What's interesting, I'd get real mad at something like something reasonably, like something reasonably would happen that was a problem, and and. Once or twice, I went to send my AE to because there's three, four assistants, and they all had their episodes. But there would be group think, and large things would become. No one was like maintaining a unity or something, right? And I remember being like, and I, I was having crashes, didn't know what happened, and my AE brain was like, "How much room is on the project partition?" None. They they were just like the backups were just eating things. And I got mad because I'm like, whose job is this, right? And I, I, my, you know, I kind of, I kind of came down my AE a little bit. Then I'm like, eh, okay, let's. I'm like, all right, tell the other. You guys have to figure this out. And I sat there for a minute, and I'm like, and this is, I'm like, I can't make my AE tell other AEs what they do. And I'm like, never mind. I'm gonna make a call. And and suddenly having understanding politics suddenly. So then I called the post coordinator and I or post super and you know I, I've been a little bit um a little bit worked up on it because it was something I'd never do as an AE I think that's what ticked me off about it and then I got on the phone I breathed and I and I had I ref I was very polite and just presented the thing and being like this is problematic because of this you know we're lo losing work because of this and she understood and I explained because she, she as a supervisor doesn't know a unity right um, and it got done and it got done. And I, I, I had to think as in Spike's world, we put the AEs push people, everybody, like we were sent like arrows and I had to learn 
to play ball. TV is very much there. Play ball. Be firm. Pick your battles. And when you pick your battles, be nice. You know, that is a good, good lesson. You know, being nice, being kind, being like working with people the best you can. Uh, so, like, what advice would you have? Can you give to assistant editors looking for their big bump up to an editor or any assistant editors who might consider a job as a VFX editor? I, well, I think the VFX editor credit's gold. Uh, but uh, then you got to decide once you get in VFX editing, they're so people need them. I mean, you can work forever as a VFX editor if you're good. And then you got to, and, and those will be easier jobs to get because there is a lack of them, a lack of good ones. Um, so when you get in there, just make sure, ask yourself, do you like this? You know, if you just want to be an editor because there was some vague idea you decided when you got into a post room, um, then, you know, that you can be very good at something else and you have the opportunity, you know, and, and the longer you're, no matter what department you're in, you start becoming that person. Right. So you start becoming better and better at something. So I would tell an AE first, if, if they don't have, it's an, if you can get a VFX editor job, get it. But if you want to edit, you have to leave that because you, you're not going to make your connections with an ed- editing because you're not, you're, those aren't the people you're meeting. Right. And you get as a, and you start to get pigeonholed because you have to make an effort to get back out of it. You can, but you have to, and you're going to have to take less money. I mean, you get a taste of better money and then you're like, get away because that's going to, that's going to be a drug. Um, <laughs> I would say you have to just keep cutting on the side, just take, pick up projects, pick, I, you know, I was cutting, I cut a feature and I cut, I co-cut a feature and I cut a short, well doing Mandalorian. Uh, and it was terrible. I mean, I was exhausted. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but I did it and I knew, I, I just knew I needed to be sharp on my skills and yeah, it made a big difference. And I, I was exercising that brain. I, I, I felt close to an edit room. I mentally didn't feel far away. Um, and then I think, uh, get on TV show. I mean, really you're getting a feature features. Great. Um, it's a much longer road to get up to be an editor. Um, it's up to you. I mean, I like the feature world, but, um, I, for getting into editing, uh, TV seemed like probably was the logical choice. Uh, get on the shows. Um, if you can get an editor who will, and at, you know, ask to see if you can cut some scenes or something. I mean, ideally you get associate editor credit or something, but, uh, and if they won't let you cut scenes, just when you have a moment, cut dailies and don't, you don't need to just, just cut them to cut them. If you don't get a chance to cut them, but cool editors will let you cut some scenes. I mean, they, you know, they, they need to pay it and they need to pay it forward. You know, editors don't need to do that. I, I, I really philosophically think they shouldn't be in the chair. Um, I would also say you have to going back. If you can two, it's kind of contradictory. You want to be in multiple edit rooms and teams. So you, you meet more people, but you also want to find, you want to find a show that they bump people. You know, a lot of shows, and it's not that just find shows that people have moved up and then, uh, and then get there. And, um, so that'll be a huge thing. Attitude is obviously that, uh, sound, if you can, if you can kill your sound design, sound design is actually out of everything. You could really leave tone on that and you can get impressed people, uh, if you could really nail your sound, um, and that people, they start thinking you creatively versus problem with TV assistant editing is a lot of it is uh, spreadsheets 
and uh, doing tracking and like features are way more creative. Um, but you are needed in there's windows when you get your op- in the creative areas, grab onto that, start being thought of and let people know you want to be an editor. I mean, it, you think that's obvious, but like, you know, it's, it's like the squeaky wheel theory. I mean, not in a bad way, but like when people know that's your, what you want to do. Uh, and that's why ideally you get an editor who wants, who's going to sit there and help you hop around, let people know. And eventually if, if, if you get a vibe, your showrunner is not going to do that. Just do one show and get out of there. Um, but good shows. I mean, most editors I know that in TV were promoted up from AEs from the same show or at least the same showrunners. Cause I was the happy people are the people who bumped me to editor and Dr. Death, the same production company. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and then, you know, make sure you have a good person, a good network to just go to places. Um, cause you know, it's the, you know, maybe I see Erica someplace and, you know, Erica might bring me, introduce me to people or maybe something pops open and Erica can help put a word in for me. Right. And, you know, it, nepotism is often a, used as a bad word, but in a, in a networking sense, it is our neck every time, you know, it's like you, it's hard bringing new people in. I think I heard Richard, you say something about this um, mm-hmm. because the stakes are high. And if you really are bringing something in, I mean, what's terrible is I might give a wreck of someone I don't know. If I don't know the other thing they're going through, if I know neither parties, I'm more apt to put them together. If I have a relationship with people, I am, I'm going to try to vet people, you know, and, you don't necessarily have had to have this, you know, if I know you, I can often pick up that you have the right people skills or you have the right work ethic. I will recommend that person. So, but, but the nepotism of it is there are people, you know, and you trust them. And then oftentimes they become your friends anyhow. And that's where it sounds like nepotism. It's like you hire your friends. Well, I'm hiring my friends who I made in editorial, not my friend from Albuquerque who it's not in that, right? Yeah. It's people you trust. It's people you trust to be able to just start uh, and yeah. just walk in the room and just hit the ground running. You know, yeah, you, you trust that they can just work independently versus having to yeah. teach someone. And teaching is great, but maybe not every project gives you that opportunity to teach. There, there's something to be said, too, about, you know, you become friends by respecting someone. You respect people who work well coming from your working relationship and there is something to be said too about even in the social context you know i i often find too when there's someone who's up for a job who i haven't worked with there's this sense of you know i can still pass their name along with the you know the disclaimer of i know this person socially i've talked to them they sound like they really know what they're doing i haven't worked with them so i can't definitively say but i think they're a good name you should take a chance on them well and if you can get them into an interview then right so ideal it's on them if they don't interview them but if you can get them in the interview, then that, at that point, you you probably have already vetted them without realizing you vetted them, right? So then now you're getting them in an editorial room and you're giving them their opportunity to talk to people. And if they are who you think they, I mean, you feel they are, uh, that's, you gave someone super qualified in that editing room, you know, what happens from there happens from there. But the reason, the reason, the social reasons about this too, I, I think in our industry, there is like a shark mentality to our, or I don't know, I wouldn't call it shark, but when you see blood in the water, you don't want to be social with somebody because it just is like, they're not doing their work well. And there's something, there's a taint there. And it's sort of like, 
you like them, but there's something you were attracted to people who are good. We, we talk about our job so much. So if someone's got a bad attitude at work or isn't good at it, you don't want to have shop talk with this person because in some ways you're like, but you don't do that. Right. You know, there's Mm -hmm. this, there is sort of, it's almost like a disposition. Like you want people who have a good attitude just as friends, but if they're a good friend, but maybe they're not, it's almost like the, how they do their job is like the second personality to you. And it's, it's a weird thing. It's, it's probably just human nature. You know, you don't want to, we want to just hang out with the strong ones. But uh, at the end of the day, I go to parties. Um, I have a lot of friends, but if there's an editor there or assistant editor, I end up gravitating to them because really I just want to talk shop and I don't mean to just, no one understands my language. So yeah. (laughs) No one else gets you, Dave, but us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, that's why that's why you have this podcast. You have that's why you're that's why you're here, so we can talk about this stuff, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, instead of to our other friends, you know, uh, Dave, it's been great having you on. Thanks so much for joining us on our on uh, our show, uh, Richard and Erica. Do you have any final thoughts? Any uh, final questions or anything you want to share with Dave or anything? You've you've uh, you, you've been, like, you've, nope. been a, a, you've been a, you've been a great no you've been, you've been a gracious guest. I always love hearing you talk. I always love hearing your stories through Spike Lee. You and I yeah. have had our private conversations uh, about uh, about that work. Uh, yeah, always always good having you on. And I swear, I, I, I had to trim my mustache because I could not compete with yours. <laughs> yeah, so now for, you got for the game going. Yeah, for the listeners, uh, David is uh, sporting a extremely fancy mustache with the twirls. And it's always lovely to see it. I mean, you'd make Sam Elliott jealous. I I walked, I walked into uh, some network thing where a guy had a mustache about four times my length and everyone looked at him and looked at me and like, it was going to be a mustache off. And instead I was like, (laughs) brother. And we sat, me and that guy sat grinning, talking and complimenting my mustache. And I was like, we're, I'm not worthy. And it was, it was, it was beauty. I know what he puts into that. I would never want that on my enemies, but it was a thing. <laughs> That's Erica, any I final thoughts? Say, I was just going to say, it's always, it's always great to talk to Dave. I feel like I always learn something new about him every time we chat. So <laughs> thanks for joining us. It was a very fun conversation. Yeah, it was fun. It was good seeing you guys. Great. Thanks again. All right. We'll see you guys next time on The Render Bar. Uh, Look for our next podcast. We post about it bi-weekly, every two weeks. And uh, I think our next show might be about networking, which we kind of touched upon this. So Dave, thanks for kind of uh, helping us gear our heads into that uh, conversation for next time. Thanks again. The Render Bar podcast is brought to you by Master the Workflow. Master the Workflow provides training for those aspiring to become professional film and television editors and was created by working editors with credits on some of the highest grossing films and award-winning television projects. Our course, Feature Film Assistant Editor Immersion, is recognized as the industry standard worldwide. For more information, go to MasterTheWorkflow.com.